similar junkies. Are you having a tough time navigating the twists and turns of the Trump-Russia investigation? So to be clear, you want easily digestible and succinct reporting on the Mueller investigation? That, that's what he said. I, I, that's what I said. That's obviously what the, the, our position is. It's time you check out Mueller, She Wrote. Mueller, She Wrote is a weekly podcast where three female comics take a deep dive into the most consequential investigation in modern political history. I'm your host, A.G., and I have to remain anonymous because I work for Trump's executive branch. Join me, along with Jaleesa Johnson and Jordan Coburn, as we report the facts, break exclusive news, and bring it all to you with just the right amount of snark. Then we top it off with our Fantasy Indictment League, exclusive interviews from guests including Asha Rangappa, Chris Cluey, Rabia Oshadri, and Scott Stedman, followed by Conjecture, all while we speculate on who is... So tune in for consistent updates and reliable coverage on Manafort, Cohen, the Trump family, Russia, and everything Mueller, and make Mondays great again. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Mueller She Wrote. And check out our website at MullerSheWrote.com. You'll be glad you did. Five listeners. Welcome to Perhaps It's You. Is this an unofficial Unsolved Mysteries rewatch podcast? I thought this was the Kitchen Nightmares podcast. Oh, if only. I thought this was the ER podcast. Well, you have yet to start that. Is there any... There's got to be an ER rewatch podcast. I feel like there must be, now that it's on Hulu. There's thousands of podcasts. We don't know how you found this one out of all the podcasts that are out there, but thank you. We were just talking last night about how baffling it is that anyone has found... (laughs) this podcast it really is like how it's a miracle that's the real miracle that should be investigated yes. the fact that anyone ever found this podcast that we started off recording at the library oh my god i remember that day at the library yeah it was we had somehow even less of a clue of what we're doing than we do now if you can believe that it's hard to imagine yeah we're like is this is this on is this a microphone what does this cord do? We had to like check out equipment from a librarian and she'd be like, what do we need? And we were like, mm-hmm. and yet here we are less than a year later. Such a popular podcast. Woof. We love you five listeners. We really do. If you haven't already and you're a subscriber on Patreon, you should go check out the episode we posted yesterday. Yeah. Last night. Sorry, it came on a little late. Uh, about Beyond Belief. Fact or fiction. I had a lot of fun recording that episode. Yeah, that was a good one. It was a good one. It turns out they're not all fiction, which you might think. Or, or are they? Are they, though? You'll have Hard to listen to, to the say. episode to find Hard out. We really say. enjoyed that one. And that's very Unsolved Mysteries adjacent, unlike what we're going to do next month. Kitchen Nightmares? Kitchen Nightmares, the Amy's Baking Company episode. I'm so excited it's about It's adjacent it. to this podcast. Yes. Right? Sure. Yeah. I guess. Look, it's our show and we'll do whatever we want. <laughs> That's the real truth. One person requested it, and we went, hell yeah, that's happening. That's all we need. So, yeah, we need very little encouragement. Do we have any other uh, updates? We got something to open here. We're going to do an unboxing. Should I do it? This is exciting. You should do it. Okay. And I told our Facebook group that I would stream it live. Okay. So if you're listening to this not live, uh, you can go to our Facebook page and watch the video. 
I'm so excited to see what this is. I've waited all week. Somehow. Oh my god, what is that? This is <laughs> Wolf King Von Snowden in his little sweatshirt that literally says just sweats on it. What? Wolf King Von Snowden. <laughs> and here's his little glasses. Oh my god. The sweatshirt is really incredible. The just sweats sweatshirt. What is that? This is... Oh my god. What? It is another... Is that a porpoise of justice? Of justice <laughs> that is blindfolded, has a sword, <laughs> and a scale. What? <laughs> Guys. This is amazing. Oh my goodness. I can't believe that people send us things. I know. <laughs> we had some people over last night to write angry postcards to public officials. And someone had somehow never heard of our podcast. And they were like, oh, do people listen? I was like, not only that, look at this corner <laughs> of stuff that we've been sent. And she was like, wait, what? Yes. yes. That's how popular we are. Is that a shrine to our own podcast? Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. So, And uh, it's filling up fast because <laughs> our listeners are amazing. Like, look at little Wolf King Von Snowden. It's so good. I absolutely love it. Yeah. So, thank you so much, Mary Jean. Yeah. Thank you These to will everyone. Be treasured. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So, that was our unboxing segment of the podcast. The best <laughs> part of the podcast. <laughs> that I bet you love listening to when you can't see anything. Uh, but what you can do is go join our Facebook group because I did a live video and I think I posted it. If I did it right, who knows? Technology is not, not my thing, but... You know, we'll put a picture of it. Yeah. At the very least, there'll be a picture on Instagram. So follow us at Perhaps It's You. We need this to keep going, so... Yeah. We really do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, later today, Samantha and I are going to go uh, get our vitamin D yep. and get our, <laughs> our exercise protesting ice. We're probably going to sweat off a few pounds. That'll be a plus. It is hot today. It so. is very warm here in Minnesota. If so you are marching if a, in if the... If we get arrested, <laughs> you know, I'll send bail money. I don't know. Yeah. I think there's enough people marching today. I think we'll be oh, fine. We should be fine. Um, do we have any other updates? I really have nothing. No, me neither. Mm-mm. Let's get on with it. Yeah. This episode wasn't bad. This is actually a really solid episode. Uh, it has a good variety. Uh-huh. We talk about different eras and time, which I kind of like. Yep. Which makes for some cool reenactments. None of the mysteries were so sad that I wanted to die. No. No missing children. There wasn't even a lost love in this one. No. So that's pretty unusual for this season. Yeah. I think it's, yeah. Well, pretty let's good. just get into All it. All right. Our first mystery is a missing person. So in 1980, 20-year-old Cindy Anderson. Oh, wait. Stack introducing this? Where is he? He's in like the fanciest it's corridor. It's extremely fancy. I couldn't even really tell what it was. If it was a church, if it was just a like fancy house. Like an ornate house. building? It was extremely ornate. Some sort of historic. I don't know. It's got to be something in it the was beautiful, Los Angeles vicinity. But yeah, yeah it was very stunning. Anyway, yes. go on. Sorry. So Cindy Anderson was plagued by se- uh, several bizarre and frightening dreams in which she was abducted from her home and murdered by a stranger. The dream reenactment is weird. It's, it is weird. It's very strange. It's kind of in slow-mo. It's very fuzzy. Yes. And it's her going, no, don't hurt me. Yeah, as someone is dragging her into her house. It's... it's 
odd. So she tells her mother about the dreams, but her mother did not take them seriously. The nightmares plagued her for the, the next year. On August 4th, 1981, Cindy, Cindy arrived at the legal office where she worked as a secretary during the mornings. She normally worked alone, so she always kept the door locked. At 12 p.m., two of her co-workers arrived to find the office empty. One of them was surprised to find that the book Cindy was reading was open to the only violent part of the entire That's, novel. Okay, so imagine you're getting abducted. You like go like, wait, 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 page 72. Okay, got to leave that. Now we can go. Ah, that doesn't really seem like a clue to me. It, it doesn't. But they were very convinced that this was a message left by Cindy to tell them. It's that more weird she that she's met gone. a violent end. Yeah, this is not a clue. It just happened to be where she was reading in the book when this happened. I guess it's a bizarre coincidence. Yes. Um, They found other evidence that suggested that she met with foul play. It's not specified what that was. Uh, She didn't put the phones on hold. Oh, that was right. Yeah. Apparently when she usually left, she would put the phones on hold. So they assumed that she didn't just get up and go. But she did have time to turn to a certain page in the book. Listen, I don't, I don't understand it. It appeared that she had been abducted, despite having all of the doors to the office locked and an alarm alert on the next door. So, yeah, she had like a little button on her desk she could press if there was a problem. Yeah, it was never pressed. All the doors were locked. So, so did they install that because of her nightmares? I really have no idea. Here's the thing. I think some shady shit was going on at this law firm. Yeah. So she was just stressed out about... Maybe people she was coming into contact with the law firm, or... I think so. And they were like, hey, actually, this is so dangerous, you should have an emergency button on your desk. Despite the fact this is just a secretary. Yeah. Like, she really just is, I don't know, answering a phone and processing paperwork, but... Yeah, I don't I don't really understand. So her family found no reason for her to disappear, especially because she was raised in a strict religious environment. Here we go. Cindy, her family and all of her close friends were Christian fundamentalist. And this is what her very creepy father has to say about. He is so creepy. I cannot emphasize that enough. This even just reading this sentence gives me the heebie-jeebies. I'm uncomfortable right now. Yeah, I haven't even read it yet. So here we go. You ready? No. He said, she was a very quiet, obedient type of girl. Mm. She never made waves with either myself or her mother. She had lots of friends. She was the type of daughter that you just enjoyed. Mm. She was beautiful and young. I hate it. I hate it. I hate everything about it. It's real gross. Do I even have to specify why? It's real gross. No, you don't. Ew. I'm sorry, I had to read it. But I had to really hit home how creepy this guy is, because... There was a part watching this, we watched it together last night, where we were like, I think we solved this mystery. <laughs> and maybe it was right about here. But it turns out that's probably not what happened. I don't think so, but it doesn't make this guy... Less creepy. No, no, because it gets worse a little bit later. So Cindy's sister says that there was no indication that Cindy would have run away. She was planning on quitting her job in two weeks and going to a Bible college with her boyfriend. She had plans. Yes. She was looking forward to stuff. However, her father did notice that she had been dieting and focusing more on her appearance around the time of her vanishing. And I have to read another creepy quote. I'm sorry. It's so creepy. That's appropriate. Just before she disappeared, this is his words, she was becoming like a debutante. She was spending lots of time on her face and herself. She would skip breakfast for this reason. She spent more time on herself than she did on her stomach. 
And that may have been part of the problem. What problem? The problem of her disappearance. Did she brushed her hair? I'm not put some makeup on? really sure what he's getting at here. Uh, she attracted, maybe she attracted unwanted yes. attention. Either that or she just ran away to start some salacious life somewhere. It's one of those two. I can't really tell which. If, you, if the dress she is wearing in this reenactment is at all accurate, it is the flounciest, most modest thing. It reminds me yes. of, if you remember those, this might have just been in the Midwest. I don't know, y'all. We used to have cement geese that people would dress in little <laughs> outfits. <laughs> we seasonal still do. seasonal we still outfits. Do. Yes. Uh, that's what this dress reminds me of. It looks like something you would put on a cement goose. Or maybe like an American girl doll? Yeah, perhaps like a baptismal gown. It has huge poofy sleeves. Yes. It has a giant collar. It's floral. It has like a full skirt past the knee. If this is what her dad was like, oh man, oh man. She this was is really, what debutantes wear. She was really turning a lot of heads. Like, women cannot win. She's being blamed by her own father for her disappearance based on the fact that she skipped breakfast a couple times. Put on makeup. I hate him. Yep. (laughs) So when investigating the case, police found that the only items missing were her car keys and purse. There was no evidence of forced entry or a struggle in the office. Her bank account had money in it. It was never, and to this day, never touched. Her social security number never popped up at a different workplace somewhere. Yeah, So sad. it really does not seem... They at one point throw around the amnesia thing again, which they always do when someone is missing. Uh, it, or if she started a new life. Yeah. It, what we're trying to get at here, I think, with the whole, like, she never used her money, she never used her social security number again, is that... She's she, literally never seen. She probably isn't walking around with amnesia, and she probably didn't run off to start a new life. So... A few months before her disappearance, Cindy noticed what Robert Stack calls an odd coincidence. This is so creepy. On the parking lot wall across the street from her office, someone had graffitied the words, I love you, Cindy. It was initialed GW. They did question several people uh, with the initials GW, including a maintenance man who happened to have keys to the legal office. However, there was no evidence that could directly tie him to Cindy's disappearance. Also, this gets painted over and then immediately, like, done again. Redone. Yeah, so Cindy was understandably unsettled by this. It looked like her, if this was her actual office, it was just the whole front wall was just windows. So all day she stared at this graffitied, I love you, Cindy. And in a, it's giant. Yeah, and they interviewed Cindy's friend or coworker, and she said that there wasn't another Cindy in the strip mall where this office was located. So it's clear that this was directed towards also, Cindy. Also, it's like facing where she sits at her desk. Like, the woman was going, oh, I know there's a lot of Cindy's in the world. It's like, yeah, but it's clearly directed <laughs> right at her, yeah. like for her to see. And then it's so creepy. It's bizarre. Guys, if you're thinking of Don't winning proclaim, a lady's favor, no. this is not the way to do no. it. There's lots of things that you maybe saw in a movie that seem romantic that are actually scary as hell. <laughs> yeah, this is one of them. Yeah, this is no, one of them. no. Do not graffiti that you love some some woman or and a then, man, really anyone that is real creepy. Yes, don't do it. Don't do Just it. Just don't. Just strike and up a conversation. Sign it your initials, and she doesn't know who that is. Yeah. Blech. Yeah. So a client of Cindy's, Larry Mullins, claims that the day before she vanished. He was in her office, and she received a strange call from an unidentified person. He says that she was extremely upset, 
and frightened, and he could tell by her face. The caller phoned the office twice while Larry was there. He asked her if there was something wrong, and she stated that she's fine, that she had just been receiving several similar phone calls recently. However, she did not say what the calls were about, and it's unknown if these calls are connected to the case. Larry said that he was so concerned about her that when he got home, he called the police and asked them to drive by and make sure Cindy was okay. That was really nice. It is really nice. And clearly she was visibly upset by these phone calls. Yeah, he was taking it to be like an obscene caller, which I don't think is a problem anymore because you know who's calling you. But back in the day, sometimes we used to get calls that were just someone breathing. Just... (laughs) (laughs) And then you would hang up and like they would call. I don't know. Or people would just like call and say gross stuff to you. Today they just troll people on the internet. Yeah, I guess the internet exists. So they don't have to do that anymore. They don't have to do that. In September 1981, a month after Cindy vanished, police received an anonymous tip that claimed that she was being held against her will. The tipster appeared nervous and refused to give the investigator her name. The tipster claimed that Cindy was being held in the basement of a white house. If you're going to call the police with information, please be more specific than yeah, these vague-ass clues. extremely unhelpful. It's like, it's two houses next to each other. Yeah, she said there were two houses side by side that were owned by the same family. Apparently, the family was out of town, but the son was home, and he was the one holding Cindy captive. However, the tipster did not give the address of the house, which would have been helpful. When or they- even, like, really the area? No. When the investigator tried to ask her for more information, the call ended. A few minutes later, the tipster called back. When another investigator tried to listen on the extension, the tipster hung up the phone. She has not called back since, and it is unknown if her information is legitimate. Uh, The the investigators drove all over trying to find two houses that maybe, I don't know how they would know if they were owned by the same person, Um, but they really had no luck. And this was probably a prank call, too. Unfortunately. Which is really shitty. Yeah. But yeah, if it was legitimate, they should have given more information. It did seem like the cops took this seriously. I don't think the police thought she just started a new life. No, they they didn't. Nothing in the episode indicated that they thought she may be wandering around with amnesia. No. Like her family um, thinks. I, I think they did take it seriously. They did make an appeal for the person, if they watched Unsolved Mysteries, to call back with more information. And I, it did seem like they were following up leads and trying to find Cindy. And... So that's kind of where the episode ends. After Cindy vanished, nine people were indicted on drug trafficking charges, and many suspect that she knew one of them and was killed because she knew too much about the drugs. None of these theories have been confirmed, however. Uh, the result of the case is that it's still unsolved, sort of. The person who wrote the spray-painted message was identified and is not believed to have any connection with the case. Jose Rodriguez Jr. is a suspect in the case and was one of the nine people indicted on drug charges. Rodriguez had connections to Cindy's law office. In fact, Cindy's employer, Richard Neller, had previously represented him. In 1995, while Jose was on trial for the drug charges, a witness testified that he had confessed to killing Cindy. Rodriguez allegedly killed her to send a message to Neller because he did not adequately represent him at his previous trial. However, police could not confirm this confession, and Cindy's case still remains officially unsolved. Both Neller, the lawyer, and Rodriguez are currently serving prison sentences for drug trafficking and remain suspects in the case. Hmm. So it uh, really does seem like there was some shady shit happening at this law firm, drug running and whatnot. And it's possible that Cindy did know 
and maybe she just accidentally overheard something yeah like it, it doesn't she doesn't seem like the type of person that would have willingly gotten mixed up in this i don't think so i'm sure so. she just got this secretarial job and she was planning on quitting and it's possible that if she did overhear something they knew she knew she was leaving and they didn't want to run the risk of her telling someone yeah. so Sad. cindy's father has since passed away in 2008 and her mother passed away in 1982 just before the broadcast wow so that's a really sad one. I feel really bad for Cindy. It seems like she had a lot going for her. And yeah, she just happened. I think she just happened to work for the wrong people. And it's really unfortunate. This did have my pick for most valuable mustache. Yeah, one of the investigators. Do you want to tell them what you call that mustache? <laughs> it matches his hair perfectly. It does. It's he impressive. has very silver gray, spiky buzz cut. And then his mustache is the same. So it's. It's the buzz cut of the face. Yes. It's kind of like a lip buzz cut. Yeah. If you will. They're both. It yeah. looks very spiky. Very. Yeah. Prickly. Yeah. Very prickly. It's an unusual mustache. That's my pick. There's a few mustaches in this episode. There are a few mustaches. A lot of, you know, unsurprisingly, a lot of law enforcement in this yeah. in this episode have impressive mustaches. But that was a good one. Yeah. Don't don't spray paint your love for people on walls. Yeah. And the, the qualities of a good daughter don't include obedient non-makeup wearing and eating breakfast what the, the qualities of a good person actually i i just wanted to smack not, that guy i know but he's dead so i guess he spared my smacks <laughs> all right now this is kind of a cute one i really like this next mystery actually yeah there's nothing sad about this really this is the west end baptist church I don't even know if you can call it a case. Mystery. The unexplained. We're going to be talking about March 1st, 1950. Back in the day, Martha Paul was a stern choir director at the church, which is in Beatrice, Nebraska. She demanded punctuality from her choir members, and everyone had to be at church by 725 for practice. Exactly. No, yes. not a second they later. They had to arrive between 715 and 725, and they could not be later than 725. Makes choir sound real fun. Anyway, they show a choir member saying like, oh, I can't even remember when anyone was late. However, on the night of March 1st, all 15 members of the choir were delayed for various reasons. And so you see little reenactments of each person getting held up it's so cute. It's so cute. It's the cutest thing ever. They each have their own little reason for being held up, and they go through each one. Oh, my yes. God. Okay. It's so adorable. So Marilyn Ruth Kemple, the pastor's daughter, spilled food on her dress, and the mother needed to iron another one. You know how you can't bring a baby to a church in a non-iron dress? <laughs> you uh, want those wrinkles. It was, it, was a, it was 1950, I guess. Yeah. So she was stuck at home ironing. Mm-hmm. Typical lady's life. A guy named Herbert, who was a bassist in the choir, was writing a letter. And he just got in his mind that he really needed to fish in it and put it in the mail that night. That night. He was taking care of some church business. So they show him at his desk, scribbling away. And his wife comes in and is like, don't you need to go to choir practice? Because Martha's going to yell at you. And he's like, I just got to get this done. I need to finish this letter. Okay. So that's why he was late. Lucille Jones was too busy listening to a radio program, uh, which I think was called something that involves the word life. I can't remember now. Yeah. All I want to say is this American life. But that's only because I imagine <laughs> this is why I would be late for choir practice. Yeah. I'd be sitting in the parking lot listening to a podcast. 
Yeah, that she got very engrossed in the radio. And they show her, like, looking at a clock, knowing that she needs to leave, and putting her coat over it because she's, like, in <laughs> denial. And she, she's like, no, I want to listen to the radio. I relate to so many of these people. And she actually had was had to pick someone up. She was someone's ride. So both of those people were late. And then we see another person who was supposed to pick up her sister. Her car couldn't start. She's got, like, the little scarf around her head. Oh, my God. So cute. So she couldn't get her car to start. Okay. There's there's a girl trying to do her math homework. Sure. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. This was a, this would be a reason I would be late as a teenager. She just couldn't figure out that algebra yeah. problem. Oh, there's a woman who just fell asleep. I get She it. was the accompanist. Yeah. Okay. Whatever. Everyone was late. For their adorable 50s wholesome reason. And then my personal favorite, Joyce. Oh my God, Joyce. Lived across the street from the church. Literally, all she had to do was get outside and walk across the street. I feel a spiritual connection to Joyce. But she was like, I was running late because I was just plain lazy. (laughs) And they show her like all bundled up in blankets with like her feet by a space heater. Because it was really cold out and she just didn't want to go outside. Yeah, this is me all winter. Yeah. And I was like, Joyce, yes, Joyce. We have a spiritual connection. <laughs> when Joyce finally drags herself away from the heater into the cold, she steps outside. She also has got the little scarf uh-huh. tied around her face. And then, ba-boom! Church explodes. And holy shit, does it explode. Yeah. There's a giant fireball. And what Joyce comments on is that a lot of the sheet music and choir books are thrown three. And it's she, like snowing sheet music. And she finds one, and it's in good shape. So oh, yeah. she decides to keep it. And I was like, Joyce, do you know that all of your friends didn't just die in a fiery explosion? She thinks everybody's in there having choir practice. And the first thing she does is she's, she's like, like, no one would miss this. No one's going to miss this. No one will mind if I steal from an exploded church, <laughs> says Joyce. That's her first thought. Because... It has exploded at 7.27. Everybody should have been in there two minutes ago. Uh Uh-huh. But were they? No. No, for these hilariously wholesome reasons, like ironing and geometry. There was not a single person in that church. What? Yeah. Is it a miracle? The pastor had lit the furnace at 4.30 because that's how long it was going to take to heat up that church so it would be warm by choir practice. And it turned out there was a faulty gas line Mm -hmm. under the church. And it exploded. And then you see an adorable reenactment of them all meeting in the field because they assumed that they were dead. But then people slowly, slowly sh- showing, showing up. up and they're like, oh, shit, the church exploded. But oh, yeah, we're all alive. And they all sang a Christmas hymn. Yeah. It's very Well, cute. Joyce is, I assume, pocketing more sheet music <laughs> and looking around, assuming that no one... No one's going to notice. Oh, Joyce. Oh, Joyce. She is my favorite. So, um, yeah, that's really it. That's really it. That explosion. Okay. Oh, my God. So, this is from Unsolved Mysteries Wiki. They mention that for footage of the explosion, the producers chose a church in... Someone's going to be mad I say this wrong. Undilla, Nebraska, that was slated for demolition and planned to blow it up. They flew a special effects expert to the site and surrounded the church with five cameras framed by plywood boxes that would protect the gear and cameramen. We were supposed to cave in the roof, and we framed the shot slightly above the roof, Rosenfeld, who directed the segment, recalled. The special effects guy blew it up way bigger than we expected. A fireball went into the air probably a quarter mile. We were all scared. The explosion used 95 sticks of dynamite and three 10-gallon tubs of gasoline. <laughs> Seems with, like overkill. 
Debris rained down for 20 minutes. <laughs> Shrapnel also speared the plywood boxes around the cameras and their operators. Oh my God. You can tell during the explosion footage. That the cameras are way too close. Yeah, that it's come out way farther than they expected because the like field of vision gets engulfed <laughs> by flames. It's insane. And it is actually a miracle that no one was hurt during this <laughs> Explosion. There's several mysteries in this one. Uh, they, they're they calling this unresolved. But I, yeah, I don't know. I guess, is it a miracle? Uh, yeah. Or is it a lovely a coincidence? Or There's actually intervention. a Snopes page about this mystery to say, yeah, it's true. This really did happen. This was featured also on an episode of Beyond Belief. Oh. Yeah. And something called Urban Legends. Okay. Um, because people just like this cute little story. It's freaking adorable. It was really great. I really love it. You get to see a lot of adorable houses. Yes. I know Liz enjoyed that. Yes. And you can go through and you can decide if you're a Joyce, <laughs> if you're a LaDonna, who was ha- she was the one having trouble with your geometry homework, and I just like that name. LaDonna, yeah. I wish my name was LaDonna. Would you be Lucille, who's too busy listening to the radio? Are you... Or Herbert, who was writing a letter that he had to get in the mail that night. Yes. Not really how mail works. Someone should make a little, one of those little online quizzes. Are you? Yeah. Who are you? Who are you? I, what I don't understand is why... Wait. Oh, so Martha. I was like, why is the Stern Choir Director late? Because she always is making sure everyone is on oh, time. Oh, good question. But she's late because Marilyn is late because Marilyn fell asleep. And Marilyn had to pick her up. There were several people that had yeah. to pick up other members of the choir. And since they were late, then the people they had to pick up right. were also late. So that explains it. It's just a miraculous... I'm going to say it's a miraculous coincidence, not a real miracle. But it is a freaking adorable story. It's really, I really, really, cute. really liked it. I, I'm not entirely clear why God would allow a church to blow up. Well... But save all the people. That's a good but question. if that's what happened, I'm glad he saved them. They all seem super sweet. I'm sure they had a great time reenacting, hugging each other in that field and saying, I think it would be great to see yourself on Unsolved Mysteries for something positive that yeah. happened instead of, they get to, they get my to daughter disappeared. on primetime television, too. Yeah. What? You know everyone in that town tuned in. Oh, for sure. They probably had watch parties. Yeah. People mm-hmm. were, like, calling and, like, their, like, third cousin twice removed is like, <laughs> I saw you on Unsolved Mysteries, right? Like, Oh, yeah, for sure. So this is just this is a fun one. I really liked it. Yeah. All right, we got another one. This one is a wanted. And we open with Robert Stack this telling us... This is me us, and Samantha's future, so yeah, could, watch out. Probably. So we open with Robert Stack telling us about a bank robbery turned murder. Robert Stack is in front of a fountain, this one? This yeah. Time? They just were like, we need a place you haven't stood before. Oh, look, there's a there's fountain. There's a fountain. He tells us that what is unusual about this case is that two college students, Kathy and I can't remember the other one's name but they were both young college-age ladies, uh, were good... Susan Sachs. Susan. Okay, so Kathy and Susan. They were good students from a prestigious university. He says of Kathy, her commitment to the politics of protest thrust her into a world of mayhem and murder. Oh, no! Mm-hmm. Which I just really love that quote. Yeah, it's good. Kathy Power has been on the FBI's most wanted list for more than 18 years. She is wanted for the robbery 
of a Massachusetts bank and the murder of police officer Walter Schroeder. She had been born to a working family. Ironically, her father was a career banker. She won a full academic scholarship to Brandeis University in Waltham, Massachusetts, and began attending there in 1967. She majored in sociology and made the dean's list every year. During this time, there were demonstrations and riots against the United States' involvement in the Vietnam War. Uh, the reenactments for this are super good. They sort of lay it out like a movie. Where they you really just do. get like a lot of establishing shots mm-hmm. and things to set the scene and much like the last episode too about the civil rights movement. Yeah. Um they kind of cut in footage from the time period into the reenactments in a really it's really well done. Yeah. There's footage of just like students watching TV so that you are sort of like seeing what their they reaction. would have been seeing and like their reaction. And then they and... show the actual news footage and yeah. then they cut back to the reenactments of the students watching it. It's really well done. So some anti-war and anti-government groups began to resort to crimes in order to promote their message. Uh, Kathy soon became involved in one of these groups. She also joined the National Strike Information Center, a clearinghouse for student, student protests across the country. So it starts out very like, you know, she was an, a student activist and she's really getting swept up in this movement. Um, but she got kind of mixed up in the wrong crowd. So she began a relationship with Stanley Bond, a criminal who had been pulled from prison in order to be drafted by the army and eventually deployed to fight in the Vietnam War. After his military service was over, Bond returned to his criminal career. What they're trying to get at in the show is that he kind of used this movement. He kind of exploited it to get at women in particular and have relationships with them. He really was, it didn't, and I guess we don't know this for sure, but it seems like he didn't really... He didn't really care. ...care about the ideology. He just kind of wanted to commit crimes, and he saw this as an opportunity. Uh, to commit crimes and get laid and seem like a good guy? Yes. Okay. That's what they got. I don't know if that's true. Maybe he went off to the Vietnam War and became... Radicalized. You know, radicalized. Yeah. Or maybe he just had an extremely bad experience over there and then joined the protests against the war. That seems just as possible, but we don't actually know. Uh, Bond had said in order... Uh, for radical groups such as the Black Panthers and Students for a Democratic Society to flourish, they needed recognition and money. Susan Sachs, uh, Power's roommate, also got swept up in the same movement. So after the Kent State shootings in 1970, Bond decided the time for action was now and began began planning. He brought two of his fellow uh, paroled career criminals, William Gilday and Robert Valeri, and started to put a plan into motion. Within the next few weeks, they robbed five banks to fund their group. On September 20th, 1970, the five had torched a state guard armory, stealing all of the ammunition. I take this, all of this, as a lesson that if you're going to rob a bank, make sure you do it with people you know. Yeah, you really should. Like, if you're going to rob a bank with someone, you got to really trust them. Yes. That's the moral of this story. <laughs> that is a, that's, a, that's a good moral. Liz. So th- <laughs> three days later at around 9.20 a.m., they robbed the State Street Bank in Brighton, Massachusetts. Bond served as the ringleader with Gilday and Sachs as gunmen. Valeri acted as a getaway driver with Kathy Power being on the lookout and driving an alternate getaway car. One of the bank tellers pressed a silent alarm so that two police officers were notified. They are Walter Schroeder, a patrolman, and Frank Callahan, his partner. They were called and responded to the scene. The reenactment to this 
Susan in the reenactment. I love her outfit is yeah. it's it's just the opposite of what you would imagine someone charging into robbing a bank would wear. And uh, I absolutely love it. It's someone that would be on the Mathletes team. Yes. <laughs> which is not a bad look, but not a look you associate with bank robbery. Yeah, she has a shotgun. And just her nerd glasses uh-huh. and like her hair barretted back. I don't know. It's <laughs> She has her denim jacket with a pink skirt. It's Yeah. And then she's like, this is a robbery. <laughs> <laughs> it's really funny. Uh, so when they arrived at the bank, Gilday cowardly shot Schroeder in the back. The next day, Schroeder died of his wounds. The group He managed- was just like shooting indiscriminately out of a car for no reason. Yeah. This is so senseless and didn't need to happen in any way. No, it didn't. The group managed to steal $26,000. Bond declared the stolen money would be donated to socialist groups and left-wing causes, subtracting 2500 from the loot to be divided among each robber as their payment. Uh, so each person got $500 in spending money. I don't know if we know if that actually happened. Yeah, um, I sorted out it. The next day, an anonymous source led police to Robert Valeri. He was arrested and named the co-conspirators in the robbery plot. Five days later, Stanley Bond was arrested in Grand Junction, Colorado. The next day, William Gilday was arrested in Worcester, Massachusetts. After a high-speed chase, Gilday and Valeri were found guilty of the murder of Walter Schroeder and of grand theft. Valeri served just five years in prison. He has since been paroled. Bond was to stand trial, but died in his cell while trying to forge an improvised explosive device to escape. It backfired and killed him. Sometimes you're like trying to make a bomb to escape. and We know making bombs is hard. We've established that on this podcast. You thought that was a dumb thing for me to say, but here we see evidence of it again. Susan Sachs <laughs> remained a fugitive until 1975. She was captured... Which in, is impressive. I know. In Philadelphia and convicted of grand theft and murder. She had been paroled in 1982. Catherine Power, however, had never been found, eventually making the FBI's 10 most wanted. She was last seen in 1974 when she was photographed by a bank surveillance camera opening a bank account in Louisville, Kentucky. The update is that... Um, it's solved. On October 6, 1993, Power turned herself in, claiming a combination of crushing guilt and her exposure on unsolved mysteries would cause people to hunt her. She had been living in Lebanon, Oregon. Under- she took that $500 and went on the run for 20 years. I know. So she had been living in Oregon under the assumed name Alice Metzinger. She pleaded guilty to armed robbery and manslaughter and was given an 8 to 10 year sentence. She was released from prison in 1999 and is currently on probation. In 2011, William Gilday died in prison. So it was a good segment. I really enjoyed it. It was really well done. I also appreciate that the dead officer's wife is like woke as fuck. Yes. Like her yeah. talking about like, you know, this is someone who lost her husband and is clearly very upset about that. But mm-hmm. she's saying like, I understand that there's a lot of marginalized groups in this country and mm-hmm. we need to give voice to that. And, you know, but that's not worth a human life. And her response to this is so measured yes. and like well articulated and yeah. just despite the fact that her husband died senselessly totally senselessly there's no reason why that had to happen at mm-hmm. all it didn't help anyone or further any cause even and the lead investigator in this case was like surprising like had a surprising reaction i thought where he was like you know i think that if she was caught she would be tried and 
she would be found guilty, but the times have changed, and I think a lot of things would be taken into consideration when it came time to sentencing her. Yeah, he was like, I'm sympathetic to her views. I yeah. just, she does need to serve time for this crime. And right. he was like, okay. I know, it was very surprising. And that's, yeah, the most, like, measured response we've seen in a lot of these cases. Yeah. Yeah, so. it's interesting. A little, a little window into the past mm-hmm. that has... Again, no relevance to things going on today. No, it's all over. Okay, next one. That's good. This is a this is a mysterious one. Yes, this last one. You may have heard of it before. This is the Signal Mountain Murders. I thought this case was fascinating. This has been featured on a, a few different podcasts, different shows. This goes back to July 10th, 1988. Three men, Kenneth Griffin, Earl Smock, and Richard Mason, this is in the Chattanooga, Tennessee area, decide they're going to go out on their ATVs. They're very excited about it. So they head out on the trails of Signal Mountain, but by sunup, they haven't returned. So their relatives call the police and start searching for them. Um, They find a witness who heard multiple gunshots which of course at the time he thought was someone poaching deer it wasn't hunting season but you know people, these things happen yeah people still do hunt because he was very familiar with firearms he was a hunter himself he thought he could tell that the gunshots had come from an area called the gate which was part of this backwoods area that had a literal gate um to prevent trespassing so the police go there. They clearly do like a very intensive search mm-hmm. because they find pools of blood that have been covered up with. And then they go, oh, this looks like foul play is present. At one point, they're talking about how there's green flies. And so they know that means there's blood. That's weird. But OK, sure. I'm pretty sure I've seen green flies and there hasn't been blood. <laughs> But what do I know? just the quantity of green flies. (laughs) I'm not an an investigator. I don't know. It's like, I'm pretty sure those just will come to a picnic, but all right. Yeah. Um, So they locate the scene of the crime. However, there are no bodies and there are not the ATVs. So then ATVs that are covered in blood are found like dumped off the side of this bluff. Yep. It's like a trash dump. Yes. It seems like a place where people just drive out to and yeah, dump dump their garbage over a cliff. You know. Like you do. Sure. So they find the three ATVs and they pull those up. And then a couple days after that, they find the bodies. But it looks like the bodies have been staged, like hoping they would be found first so that people wouldn't figure out where the actual scene of the crime was. But there's like 11 miles between where the ATVs are dropped, where the bodies are dropped, and where the crime originally took place. And they show you on, like... A very helpful animated map. This little map that I'm pretty sure is made in MS Paint. Yeah. (laughs) Where these different things occur. So then, the question just is, who killed these three men? And... That's kind of it. That's kind of it. It's spooky. They show a reenactment of like three people driving up and then just getting shot with a shotgun, including... So two are killed seemingly right away. And then the third one is killed, shot in the back because he started to get a run for it and then is still killed. Yeah. It's brutal. There's a couple witnesses. One sees two men with a pickup truck moving three ATVs. 
but they're never located. Someone else saw a woman like blocking off the road where the ATVs were dumped, claiming that there was an accident and you couldn't go that way. That woman's never found either. It's really, there's not much evidence. Okay. So there's, yeah, it's sort of solved, but there is some debate about that. A man named Frank Castile has been tried twice for the murder and convicted both times. He, the only real evidence connecting him to this is, so he had the property with the gate Mm -hmm. and was upset about people trespassing on his land. So law enforcement had recommended that he keep a log and write down like dates and times and people that trespass. In that log is record of those three men coming on that night. Yeah. But that's it. Yeah. And that's what the police told him to do. And does it seem like maybe he killed them for trespassing? Sure, maybe. But that's not enough. So he appealed this at one point and got a new trial, but then was found guilty again. And I I think his, like, ex-girlfriend or something sent in the logbook to the police. I don't know. There does not seem to be... Oh, his, like, girlfriend sent it to his wife. Or I, Yeah, I don't know. So there is people fighting for his innocence. There is a Frank Castile innocence site, if that's something that you're interested in. The reenactments for this are spooky. There's just, like, kind of not a lot to go on. No, there's really nothing. But it is fascinating, and it's mysterious. And like Liz said, there's a lot of podcasts about podcasts about this case. Yeah, and this is this is one of those rabbit holes where I feel like you could get really oh, for sure. into it. And I I have just skimmed the surface right now. Yeah, it where, doesn't seem out of the question that someone upset about people trespassing on their land might have been responsible. That's but what also it there's, seems like. There's, but there's no evidence. Yeah. So you still have to have evidence just, to convict someone of a crime. It just seems like a guess. Yeah. Um, I don't know if if anybody has a like favorite source about this case, let me know, and we can include that in some updates. Um, it seems like a really senseless, stupid crime. One tip was that there were marijuana fields in that area, and maybe they were killed. It was like a boys in the tracks type of. Yeah, except that when the authorities like looked over that whole area, they found like a whole two marijuana plants. They're just literally weeds. Yeah. So it doesn't necessarily mean someone planted no, them. Exactly. And was cultivating them. So that seems like that tip is not true. Yeah. I I don't know. Would you really kill three people over trespassing? I would hope not, but. But then again, people maybe have been you would. killed for a lot less. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's weird. Yeah, I weird. I like the case, but it is quite tragic. Violence. Yeah, should we rate this episode? Yes, let's. All right, mysteriousness. I think this one is high in the mysteriousness. Yeah, I agree. Thumbs up on mysterious. Yeah, Thumbs. what happened to Cindy? Very mysterious. Very mysterious. What happened to these guys? Yeah. Very mysterious. So yeah, my thumbs up. Did God blow up that church? <laughs> but save all the parishioners. Yes. Thumbs up. Yep. Thumbs up. Way up. Mm-hmm. Uh, reenactments. I oh, love way that up. explosion alone. The explosion's insane. Yeah, I love the vignettes of everybody's being late. Yep. I love the the college the revolutionaries yeah. who are very well organized, sitting, planning out their protests oh, yeah. with their their bulletin board, and mm-hmm. I don't know. Oh, oh, so many shots of guns being wrapped in carpets. Oh yes. 
Yeah. Some great carpet, too. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm a thumbs Quality. up on that. Mm-hmm. Fashion. Oh, yeah. Huge thumbs up. Yes. You can tell that all the students in, in that one mystery are revolutionaries because they were wearing bandanas. Yeah. And at one and point, jean go, jackets. This, this is revolution. <laughs> this is a revolution. I loved yeah. it so much. Yeah. The fashion in this one was excellent. Yeah. Thumbs up. Thumbs up. I don't know if I would give a thumbs up to Robert Stack's outfits, though. No. Because he was pretty much just wearing suits. Actually, he wore a really bad Oh, the Burberry came back, though, and the bo- but I'm getting The Burberry came back, but he's wearing, like, a buttoned undershirt underneath it. It's weird. Yeah. So thumbs down, thumbs, I would say. Yeah, thumbs down on that one. And then, as a whole, out of a possible five Robert Stacks... I'd give it a four. I'm a four on it, too. I really yeah. enjoyed it. It's quality. Is it... Kurt my fall? No. No. But nothing is. Like, like to just admit it. Very uh, few. Very few. Yeah. It's a solid episode. I like the variety. I like the different eras. I like that we have a happy church explosion. <laughs> <laughs> There's a fun phrase. It was overall just excellent. Yeah. Yeah. It's quality television. Yeah. I'd you learn a little something. You're entertained. You... Maybe we'll st- steal a choir book in the future. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. We'll grow up to be Joyce for sure. And you'll learn that if you're going to rob a bank, just make sure you know the people you're robbing a bank know with. Know them very well. Because yeah. they might just start indiscriminately shooting at cops, and that's not cool. It is not. Because then you might have to go on the run for 20 years. Mm-hmm, with only $500. What a pain that sounds like. No, thank you. No. All right. That's it for this episode. Recommendations, Liz? I have a recommendation that's a movie that's been on my mind a lot okay. recently. I feel like I'm stuck in it. It's called The Trial. It's from 1962 by Orson Welles. Oh, okay. And it is based on a story by Franz Kafka. So, if you live in the U.S., you may be stuck in a Kafkaesque nightmare right now. Uh, yeah. Or maybe not. Maybe you have no idea current events are going on. You have no concept of the world around you. And maybe I would claim that was irresponsible, but mostly I'm just jealous <laughs> because I would love to just be focusing on normal life right now. Sounds great. If I was just like, you know, Samantha, I'm going to really work on my painting. And you were oh, like, oh, that sounds lovely. And you were like, yeah, I'm going to, you know, do what other hobby you're going to do, you know? Anyway, can't happen because we're stuck in the trial. Yep. <laughs> Which uh, stars Anthony Perkins, who got to say dreamy. He was so dreamy back in the day. Yeah. So he's the lead, and he is someone who is accused of a crime, but they never tell him what crime, and they never actually arrest him. Oh. So his, it's just him. Sounds Unsolved Mysteries adjacent. Yes. It's just him trying to find out what the hell is going on, but everything is extremely baffling and confusing and depressing. Orson Welles, like, couldn't get any funding for this movie for whatever reason. So it's filmed in all these, like, public spaces in Europe, which I think was sort of, like, a last resort because they couldn't make sets, but it's beautiful. Like, it's really cool to see that they've, like, just, I don't know. It does, and it sort of adds to the surrealness of it, too, that, like, this gigantic whatever coliseum looking like thing it's like oh this is the courthouse because this is where we're filming this and nice. whatever i i mean maybe this isn't the best time to watch a movie about a kafka nightmare maybe you don't really have the stomach for it right now but yeah. i but i keep thinking about it and going ah, we're stuck this is like the trial <laughs> it never ends and you can't get any clear answers yeah. and yeah. I don't I Sometimes don't know. you just need that. You need to see it on film. 
Yeah. It's a nice outlet. Yeah. I feel like I watched this on some streaming service a couple years ago. I don't know if it's still available. You might have to cough up $3 if you want to watch it. Okay. Sure. It's very good. I do recommend it. But also, if you want to wait, <laughs> I get that too. I get it. If you want to watch, it. you know, Babe Pig in the City right now, that's like... Oh man, I haven't seen that movie in so long. <laughs> if that would be a little more comforting, I understand. Yeah, that's okay too. I really Take care it. of yourself. Get some sleep. Do what you need to do. Do what you need to do. To yeah. survive. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I have a recommendation of a podcast that I discovered by accident. I think I saw them tweeting something on Twitter. Oh. And I really enjoyed it. That works. It. Amazing. I know. Imagine that. So it's the Vocal Fries podcast. Oh, yeah. Fries, like the 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 food item, the potato. My favorite The food. fried potato. Mm-hmm. Uh, the... The description of this podcast is the podcast about linguistic discrimination. Learn about how we judge other people's speech as a sneaky way to be racist, sexist, classist, etc. Carrie and Megan teach you how to stop being an accidental jerk. Amazing. I adore this podcast. It's so smart. They interview some brilliant people. First of all, the, the hosts are super smart, and then they bring on these brilliant guests there is an episode about Duolingo and about learning, like language learning technology, which I thought was super interesting. A while ago, I was trying to learn Spanish and I tried Duolingo and had very little success. Hmm. Um, learning is something that I'm interested in because I studied education in college and I really enjoyed it. They obviously talk about things like vocal fry and upspeak and how women are criticized for the women and gay men often are criticized sure. for having these speech patterns. Um, they talk about uh, the language of the Black Lives Matter movement, um, a trans language, including pronoun usage and the singular they is a is a oh, episode that they talk about. Uh, I just really like this podcast. It's super good. They're super smart. They're ladies making a kick-ass podcast, which I always like to support. Well, you know my goal in life is to have more vocal fry. Mm-hmm. I strive to have the most upspeak <laughs> that I could possibly I have. I love it so much. If I, I really feel like drag queen Alaska Thunderfuck <laughs> has the perfect voice. Yes. And I, I, that's not... I, I'm an advocate for speaking with your, your natural voice. Yeah. Like, speak the way that you actually speak. Uh-huh. But if I was going to speak in an affected way... <laughs> That's what I would be going for. Yes. Oh, it's it just thrills me. I love it so much. And it's a podcast that's been criticized. Not a lot. There's women in audio media that are criticized way more than we've been. No, uh, most of our listeners are super, super nice. But it is a thing that's sort of just out there as a concept that it happens. you yeah. shouldn't talk like a woman. You and shouldn't then I'm like, cackle. But I am a woman. Right. It's a weird idea that I shouldn't talk like a woman. It's extremely... Why is that bad? It's extremely weird. Or that you won't be taken as seriously if you sound like a woman. I mean, I guess that's true, but that's not my problem. No. It's everybody else's problem. Exactly. So I'm not going to change the way I talk. I really love this podcast, you guys. They're so smart. I have to check it out. Yeah. It sounds really good. Vocal fries. And also, I just love that title for a podcast. I wish I had thought about it, but I couldn't do as good of a job as these ladies. I love it because, so we're in like a podcast Facebook group, and I cannot tell you how many people post complaining about Vocal Fry. They do. And so the fact that they, would, frustrating. that they would just embrace that and call their podcast The Vocal Fries, which is just like a big, like, F you. I just, <laughs> I love that. Just that alone to I, me is like, yep, yes, I yes, love it. Adore it. Check them out. Give them a download. You won't regret it. I mean, if we have a new podcast... We would have to call it, like, the cacklers or something. We would. The cackling hens. The cackling hens. 
<laughs> Perhaps we just changed the hosted by to two cackling hens. Two, it's like Perhaps it's by you two by. hens. Yeah. We're proud two of it. Two shrill feminist hens who hate you. Clearly we're proud of it since we put it on tote bags. I mean, yeah. <laughs> 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 what else are you going to do with that kind of You know, what are you going to do? All right. I think that's all we have for you today. Should we plug our shit? Yes. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Perhaps It's You. You should send us your paranormal tells, your spooky stories. We're collecting alien stories. encounters. And I'm so, okay. If you've emailed us a story and we have not responded, please don't be offended. We received your stories. We have them flagged in our inbox. We just don't want to read them until the episode. Yeah, we want to be, be surprised. So we haven't replied to a lot of people who have sent That's us stories. That's a good point. But we've received them and we're grateful for them. And listen to our season finale of this season two and you will hear your stories. So if you have a story that's perhaps it's you podcast at gmail.com, send them along. You can also find a contact form on our website, perhaps it's you.com. Yeah. And send those so that we have, I am hoping the stories we have are as spooky as amazing as our season one finale, because honestly, some of those stories creep the hell out of me. New Michelle. I I'm still, still have nightmares about New Michelle. scared of New Michelle. <laughs> where is New Michelle? What is New Michelle up to? I don't want to know where New Michelle is. <laughs> So, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, go back, listen to the season one finale. It's so good. I uh, cannot believe the creepy shit people sent in. Yeah. It's lovely. And we're going to have, fingers crossed, Kara, friend of the pod, back for that finale because she has a She's new had a couple new alien paranormal encounter. encounters. So I'm looking forward to hear, hearing about those. Should be fun. If you have an extra dollar to throw our way, you will receive some perks on Patreon, patreon.com slash perhaps it's you. You get a postcard. You get some stickers. You get a free, well, it's not free. You get an extra bonus episode each month. Yes. Next month, obviously, we talked about we're doing uh, the amazing Amy's Baking Company episode of Kitchen Nightmares. Go on our Patreon page as well, and you will find a Google form where you can submit requests. For our August episode, we are going to vote. Well, you're going to vote. Yeah. We're going to pick a few suggestions Put that sound in interesting. Erie, Indiana. Yeah. And, <laughs> <laughs> and you'll be able to vote on them. So yep. do that. Uh, I think that's all we have. Yeah. That just felt like a blur. I know it did. I we don't... must be getting better at this. That must be why. Oh, is that it? <laughs> I hope that's it. Some people probably beg to differ, but yes. whatever. Thanks, five listeners. Get out there and solve some mysteries, bitches. Hey, woo! <laughs>